We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. so much for tuning into Weird Distractions Podcast. This is a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate discussing true crime cases, paranormal hotspots, eerie folklore tales, urban legends, and conspiracy theories to provide you, and more than likely what the oncologist in your local city would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. This week, I'm turning back the clock and doing a re-release of a previously covered weird distraction. But before I take us back in time, I'll cover a little bit of housekeeping and then I'll fill you in on what I need a distraction from this week. If you're not interested in hearing either of those, feel free to skip ahead about, I would say, maybe five minutes, give or take. In terms of housekeeping, I've recently decided to take a break from releasing content on Patreon. This is due to still adjusting to my new job and juggling my own personal life expectations and commitments. I have been struggling juggling four regular episodes plus two bonus Patreon episodes and all the other podcast-related tidbits in between for a couple weeks now, and so I've decided to pause Patreon a effective today until October. Current patrons will not be charged moving forward and I will be revisiting what my next steps are in September. As well, another little bit of housekeeping, I just want everyone to go check out the Ye Old Crime feed. Specifically, check out the Elizabeth Packer episode, as you may just hear a familiar voice. Now, in terms of my need of a distraction this week, I would have to say I need a distraction from feeling guilty about the whole Patreon thing. It's never easy taking a break from the show, even though sometimes I get stressed out and I need a break. I just personally struggle with letting people down or saying no, because if you haven't picked up on it, I'm a little bit of a people pleaser. So that's my need for distraction this week. On top of just, you know, regular degular lack of sleep, stress, all the fun stuff of being an adult. With that said, I think it's time to dive in to this week's episode. Let's just get into the spooky ookiness. I'm so excited. I hope you're ready for it. When Christy and I started Weird Distractions a whopping three years ago, there were a couple of paranormal locations I knew I wanted to talk about right in the beginning. These are places that have weirdly enticed me to the point of motivation to cover them on the show and maybe one day, hopefully visit. The Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs was high on that list. It was definitely, I'm going to say number one or number two, that I knew I needed to cover on the show. And it actually became the third episode when the show originally started. A lot has changed since its original release, so I think it's time to revisit the Crescent Hotel. I'll break down the hotel's history, go over some occult observations, and then end us off with some paranormal reports. Due to potential coarse language, distressing topics, and other disturbing adult themes that could be discussed today, listener discretion is advised. Whenever a building is being built, there must be a sense of wonder from onlookers watching the construction take place. I imagine for folks residing in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, in 1866, such wondrous onlooking took place. The building, whose name would eventually be the Crescent Hotel, would be situated on Prospect Ave, nestled within the Ozarks. 
From what I gathered in my research, it was built by the Eureka Springs Improvement Company and the Frisco Railroad for a whopping $294,000, which is approximately $5.6 million in today's money. But why build this hotel in Eureka Springs? What's even going on there? Well, during the mid-1800s, Eureka Springs was a popular area due to its natural spring waters, which people thought could perhaps cure pains and other issues they were facing. In other words, they saw potential income by luring those visiting Eureka Springs for its water to stay a night or two at the hotel. This new hotel was made of sandstone and limestone, which if you're a paranormal enthusiast, your ears are probably perked. If you're scratching your head wondering why this is kind of a big deal, it's because some folks believe certain stones act as conductors of paranormal energy, i.e. stone tape theory. I've talked about the stone tape theory on the show a handful of times, but as a reminder, this theory's premise is that certain stones, like limestone, have the ability to act like a record player when it comes to supernatural phenomena. Basically, it has the ability to record and play back previous events on a continuous loop using former energy that took place within the area. Keep this building design in mind as we get into the paranormal reports later on. So the hotel is built and opened its doors on May 20th of 1866. It's beautiful, it's big, and it saw quite a bit of trauma in its first few years. According to a resource I came across, the first reported death that occurred at the hotel involved an Irish stonemason named Michael. It was during the hotel's construction when reports claimed that Michael apparently fell to his death from a shelf near the top of the building and landed on a beam. As the tale goes, this beam has apparently been identified as the floor in room 218. Room 218 will be discussed later on, so try and keep that in mind as we carry on. Stepping away from the death talk, just for a wee moment, let's focus back on the other aspects of Crescent's history, starting with its name. The name of the hotel reportedly comes from the fact that it sits on top of a crescent-shaped mountain. A hotel sitting on top of a mountain near water that allegedly cures ailments? Of course, people were eating this up, especially the rich and the famous. But even the richest of guests writing their fattest of checks couldn't keep the hotel's steam running. Revenue began to drop, and so did the funding from the original investors. Money to upkeep the hotel became null, and things slowly went from glam and gorgeous to, well, garbage like. Then there was another publicized death on site. In a very ill-worded article, Fort Smith Times dated August 9th, 1905, a black employee of the hotel named James Everett was shot after trying to defend a woman. The article explains the following incident in a direct quote. James Everett was shot last night while defending a white girl from assault by the hotel gardener. He died this morning, and John Howerton is in jail charged with murder. The gardener is 40 years old and claims to have recently been employed as a government teamster in Cuba. The girl is also employed at the hotel. Eyewitness state that Howerton struck the girl with a chair, the attacking maid in the servants' quarters, and whenever it interfered to prevent further violence, Howerton drew a pistol from inside his vest pocket, end quote. Articles and reports have noted that John Howerton was acquitted for the murder of James Everett. And at some point after this tragedy, the hotel goes for sale. By 1908, it would be revamped as a college for young girls. The Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women was considerably more progressive in its studies than any other college for its time, and offered courses such as law, science, music, physics, chemistry, and more. 
Women at the time weren't being promoted to study such things, so the fact this school was offering it is pretty huge in my opinion. Sadly, the institution closed down in 1924, only to reopen again in 1930 as a junior college for a hot minute. And by hot minute, I mean this stint only lasted about four years. As accounts claim by 1934, Crescent laid silent, except in the summer when it would be opened up as a resort. Even with new owners coming in and trying their best by opening it up during the summer, aka probably tourism season, the upkeep still remained difficult and costly, especially during the Great Depression. No one was really traveling as much as they really couldn't afford to do it, and therefore the revenue intercrescent was beginning to become null again. It was kind of non-existent. That is until a man named Norman Baker came in 1937. Norman Baker, convicted felon, inventor, radio broadcaster, and charlatan, was born a Sagittarius on November 27th of 1882. Norman lucked out at an early age by being born into wealth. His dad, John, was reportedly an inventor, and his mother, Frances, was a writer. He was also the youngest of 10 kids, so you know he was probably spoiled and or got away with basically anything. Originally born in Iowa, by the time he came into Eureka Springs, he had already established claims of being some sort of medical savior. Before being a medical savior, Norman apparently dabbled in theater, mentalism, working as a carnival worker, and as mentioned, a radio broadcaster. He also owned a company at one point called the Tangli Manufacturing Company, which is tied in with his Caliphone creation. When Norman was doing his radio broadcasting stint, the Encyclopedia of Arkansas reported that he would often talk about denouncing mandated cattle TB tests, water, fluoridation, vaccinations, and also aluminum cookware, because he claimed all of these things caused half of all cancers. Which leads us back to Norman Baker, medical savior, or my new nickname for him being Norman Baker, the medical faker. As this quote-unquote medical savior, Norman was willing to bring Eureka Springs back on the map through purchasing the hotel as he was going to create his own medical institute. The funny thing about Norman is that he claimed to be a doctor, again, medical savior, this, that, and the other, but he had no medical training, similar to Roque Theriot from episode one. Norman supposedly shared how he had a number of cures for various diseases, including cancer, and launched frequent attacks on organized medicine, which he accused of being corrupt and profit-driven. Baker seemed to have this belief that he was able to provide better care to the sick than anyone else. But why did he come to Arkansas? It turns out he had been ran out of Iowa for practicing medicine without a license, which my response is, you don't say. Can't even convince me that this guy isn't a fraud. It wasn't a case where he was working at a hospital and was fired. Oh no, it was quite the opposite. He had his own medical building that apparently opened in 1929 as the Baker Medical Institute before being forced to close in 1932. This former medical institute located at 405 East Front Street in Muscatine was apparently an unlawful cancer hospital formed out of Norman's dismissal of the American Medical Association. Norman would allegedly treat cancer patients with treatments that were not only inhumane, but not even backed by any kind of medical science. 
For those wondering, his treatments were poorly consisted of clover, corn silk, watermelon seed, and water. I think sometimes he would suggest people inject these kind of mixtures into people's bodies or have them drink it or who knows. It's just wrong no matter which way you think about it. Norman was taken to court. He lost out on running for the governor of Iowa. That's a shame. And eventually lost any crumb of reputation he had left in the state. But... He still had his charisma, some money, and the delusion that he was going to cure cancer and save everybody from the American Medical Association. So Norman buys the Crescent Hotel, he convinces and eventually moves some of his living and willing cancer patients to Arkansas and advertise his new health resort at the Crescent Hotel. Baker purchased the Crescent Hotel for $40,000 along with the two parks on each side. This time, Norman's cure consisted primarily of the natural spring water within the Eureka Springs, along with his other previous used ailments, I'm sure. The giant resort hospital opened in November of 1937, and money was booming right off the hop. Now remember, this was a time before the internet, and kind of the time if something happened in one part of the country or in another state or another province or territory, wherever it may be far away, you might not have any idea of what's going on or what happened there until quite some time after the fact. Norman's reputation in Iowa hadn't really caught up to him in Arkansas yet, which meant when Norman opened shop, the money poured in. People were buying into what he was selling because, again, he could sell it. Norman accumulated hundreds of thousands of dollars, which he kept in various safe deposits known only to him and his accomplice, Thelma Yant. Postal inspectors would claim later on that the hospital cleared about $500,000 in one year. Hypothetically, if he made $500,000 in 1937, that would be over $10 million in 2023. Again, he is making bank. Norman is so hypocritical because he blamed the American medical system as being for profit and taking money and not actually curing people, but he was doing the same thing just on his quote-unquote terms. The money Norman was making was based off of, I believe, people paying to stay and receive these kind of various treatments at the hotel, aka the hotel became kind of a for-profit hospital. Speaking of profit, Baker was bringing in new money to Eureka Springs, which everyone around the town was thrilled about this. With the closure of Crescent Hotel and the colleges, things got kind of bleak for Eureka Springs in terms of new money. And all of a sudden, Norman comes in and kind of saves the day and brings in this new wave of capitalism into this area. I can imagine that there was probably this big hope that Norman would put Eureka Springs back on the map as a popular tourist location or just in general for his new medical institution. Back to things at the hotel, which now that it was under ownership of Norman, it was time for a little bit of a makeover. Norman set out to paint virtually everything lavender or purple. Which I'm going to boldly say maybe it was to relax folks coming in so that they didn't realize he's a snake oil salesman. It could also have just been his favorite color as he was reportedly always seen in a white suit with a lavender tie and allegedly drove an orchid colored car. If a spot in the hotel wasn't a shade of purple, it was decorated in other various eye-snatching colors. Take the lobby for an instance. Norman supposedly proceeded to decorate the Crescent's lobby in red, yellow, orange, and black. He apparently put his own invention, the caliphone, on top of the roof to really set in stone that this institution's persona 
of being different than the rest at the time. It was surely different. And I say that because on paper, this place sounded as if it was a place of care, support, and new age medicine. However, in one article posted on the Crescent Hotel's website, there was a far darker truth taking place behind the doors of Norman's Crescent Hotel. For an instance, there is a story of a couple named John Tunis and his wife Lula, who came in contact with the hotel when Lula was struggling with cancer. By May of 1930, John felt he had no choice but to bring his wife to the Baker Institute and in the hands of Norman Baker after the couple seemingly tried everything available treatment-wise. The couples probably heard about Norman's goal to cure cancer, and when desperate times happen, we, as humans, look for any possible way to cope. They wouldn't have known that Norman's magic cancer cure was nothing more than a mixture of corn silk, alcohol, and carbolic acid, among other things. And even if they did, they may have bought into it out of total desire to help Lula get better. Again, this was a time way before the internet, way before social media, and you couldn't just look up online and check up WebMD to see what you were sick with and what you could do to treat your sickness. John Tunis would later testify in court against Norman Baker, stating the following in a direct quote. She, Lula, took the needle treatments. She told me it was awful, that five or seven needles a day were stuck into her, and they would hold them there until the medicine ran out. She said it didn't do much good. She said that she wanted to come home and that she was getting worse. She was in terrible shape when she left the Baker Institute and went down in bed right away. End quote. Sadly, Lula had died by Christmas of that year. John was now alone and in the dark as to what may have happened. John and Lula's story is one of many. Desperation to get better, hope that things will, and then tragedy. Speaking of tragedy, I came across some sources stating that Norman also experimented extensively with organ transplanting, which for someone who has no medical background probably isn't the safest thing or best thing to do. Multiple people fell victim to Norman's weird real-life game of, I'm the doctor, you're the patient, with some sources noting that the associated death count could be around or more than 300 people. However, this number has not been able to be confirmed, denied, or updated due to the lack of documentation that Norman and his staff did. Speaking of shoddy paperwork, you may be wondering, what would Norman do if a patient died and their loved ones would continue to write to them because they didn't know that their loved one had died? Norman would allegedly send letters in the names of his patients, sometimes even if they were deceased, asking for money from their relatives and fabricating evidence that his miracle cure worked. Not only is Norman getting overhead from people coming into the hotel to access his made-up cures, but he is also taking money from deceased patients' loved ones. Little did he know, though, his faked male facade was going to go down in flames. On September 1st of 1939, then 57-year-old Norman Baker was arrested for mail fraud. Norman was tried, convicted, and sentenced to jail, in which it seems like he was sent to Leavenworth within the northeast of Kansas, according to the Smithsonian. 
for the remainder of Norman's life, he tried to argue his innocence and a higher rating for his reputation. He was labeled a quack doctor, and that kind of carried with him until his dying day. Norman would eventually be released from prison, and he would retire to Miami, Florida, where the sweet, sweet justice of karma ended his life on September 10th of 1958, where he reportedly died of cirrhosis. After Norman was arrested in 1939, Crescent Hotel was left ownerless until about 1946. Come 1946, the hotel would see a new wave of ownership, where four people would actually purchase the hotel and start renovations. Even with the hotel's dark history, eager travelers were still interested in visiting the historic building, which now included various travel packages and a new wave of renovations. Tragedy, though, always seems to rear its ugly-ass head, as a bad wiring fire broke in 1967 and reportedly wiped the penthouse level, along with most of the fourth floor. Hell hath no fury like an old building destined to survive, though. The owners of the Crescent eventually fixed the damages, and business eventually resumed. The hotel changed hands again in 1972, which saw even more modern amenities and renovations done. It was around this era of renovations when reports of weird paranormal phenomena allegedly began ramping up. But we're not there yet, so hang on, the ghost stuff is coming, I swear. Between 1997 and 2007, a whopping 35 guest rooms were added on top of a new spa called the New Moon Spa, and even more proper restorations were done to the penthouse penthouse suites. It sounds like every inch of the hotel kind of saw a glow up during this period, which brings the Crescent Hotel to where it is today. I took a quick gander at some of the packages available at the hotel, and let me tell you, if it wasn't for the damage caused by recent Amazon Prime Day, I may have been in some serious trouble. I will say the prices seem fairly reasonable. For example, you can book a midweek deal for about $475 USD, that includes one night stay with a freed upgrade, a $300 spa credit, and a spa gift set which includes shampoo, conditioner, and lotion. Similar to the Anderson Hotel discuss with Lynn's from Yield Crime back in episode 164, the Crescent Hotel has a history of feline guests, which I am obsessed with. The hotel website states, quote, Recorded history of 1866 Crescent Hotel and Spa shows that a feline has been one of the mainstays of their gift of hospitality to those who visit this historic hotel of America. That history continues. There may have been many other cats that have walked the halls of this mountaintop spa resort since its grand opening in 1886, but it wasn't until 1937 when the hotel records show an orange tabby named Morris walked into the lobby and stayed for 21 years. This cat became such a fixture of the Crescent Hotel that he was referred to as the general manager. End quote. All that, you get to stay in a historical landmark that is reportedly haunted? I am sold. Please take my money. Speaking of staying at the hotel, let's dive into some occult observations to hear what others have said about their time at the Crescent Hotel. If you're a new listener to the show, Occult Observations is a little segment where I read the good, the bad, and just the downright weird reviews of the location we're chatting about. This segment came long after the initial release of the OG Crescent Hotel episode, so it's good to give it its own time with an occult observation. As always, I'll kick us off with two negative reviews before ending off on two positive reviews, which all the reviews are taken from Google. 
The first negative review is from user Sarah D. Sarah left one of five stars, and the observation reads as follows. We stayed there two weekends ago in room 403. We kept hearing a meowing in our room all evening until we finally located a planted device under a drawer that was put there to make the room seem haunted. I would really hope that the hotel is not staging these types of things, but I'm really starting to think that they are after answering a survey about my stay and not hearing back about this, as well as me posting a comment about this on their Facebook page, and it was removed. Hopefully anyone else having constant sounds in their rooms will come forward if they have found devices like this as well to uncover this publicly if they're doing something like that. End of observation. First and foremost, I'm not about faking a haunted location, but I also am curious as to what actual device did this Sarah find? Was it just like a little recorder that just played cat sounds on a loop? Because if so, do you not think you would pick that up pretty quickly? It just seems weird. Anyways, the next occult observation is from user LEP, and they left one out of five stars. The observation reads, When I attempted to rent a room, they shot me in the foot and skinned me alive. End of observation. I don't know why, but I love these kind of observations because it's just so dumb. But then also, on the other hand, it's not good for business because you're leaving these awful one-star reviews and ratings with no actual feedback that's legitimate. I mean, hey, maybe they were skinned alive. You never know. Now on to the positive observations. So the first one is from user Karen H. They left five out of five stars and the observation reads as follows. My siblings and I enjoyed our spacious cottage, a very short walk to the hotel, beautiful setting and surroundings. We loved exploring the grounds, but it was walking the halls of each floor that was exciting. A random photo taken on the fourth floor proved to us that spirits roam along with us. As one female ghost seemed to have fun photobombing my photo. That is not a guest. We, four, were the only people in the hallway when I snapped the shot in the mirror. I shuddered when I zoomed in and noticed her peeking from behind me. End of observation. And I will say, Karen added the photo, which you can find on Google Reviews to see. I would highly encourage you checking that out. The final call observation is from user Elena B. They left five out of five stars and their observation reads as follows. If you're looking for fun all in one place, this is the place to be. The folks that work here are kind, helpful, and efficient. The rooms are old-fashioned, but the place has a stepped-back-in-time feel. It's away from things, so be sure to take the shuttle to the downtown fun. The ghost tour is very informative and interesting. Did not see ghosts, but definitely had some interesting things happen, such as the elevator opening on its own after shutting, the clock falling off the side table, and hearing a man's voice come from room 218. The Sky Bar has a killer barbecue chicken pizza, and I highly recommend the liquid therapy if you want alcohol. Breakfast buffet was solid, but the best part was a homemade green chili that our waiter made. End of occult observations. That pretty well winds up this location's occult observations, which means it's time for the spooky stuff and maybe time for me to get a snack at some point after the recording or write down what I want because now I'm craving pizza and chili. So let's get into the spooky stuff. There seems to be a plethora of different alleged supernatural identities that call the Crescent Hotel their home from a different realm. On top of that, there are also seem to be a good handful of hotspot areas across the building where activity just seems to happen more frequently. 
Similar to the first time I talked about the Crescent Hotel back in episode 3, let me run down who these ghouls are and where the hotspots can be found so we're just a little bit better acquainted. The first spirit I want to talk about is Michael. So as mentioned, the stonemason named Michael died during construction of the hotel back in 1886. He reportedly died on a beam that is now under the floor in room 218. The room, now referred to as Michael's room on the hotel's website, boasts as one of the most spiritually active rooms in the original building. Michael has been described kind of being a trickster spirit who likes to play with the lights, the doors, televisions, and pound loudly on the walls. If that that isn't already unnerving and, you know, a bit annoying. People have allegedly witnessed hands coming out of the bathroom mirror and have heard cries of what sounds to be like a man falling from the ceiling. The next school I want to chat about is an unnamed nurse. So there have been accounts of this apparition who is apparently dressed all in white and kind of dated nurse clothing that is often seen pushing a gurney around the third floor. This nurse is only spotted after 11 p.m., which is the recorded time that the medical staff used to move the deceased out of the cancer hospital and, well, to the morgue. Once witnessed, the ghostly spirit seemingly vanishes when she reaches the end of the hallway. Next on the haunted hot list is that of Norman Baker. Despite dying all the way in Florida, people claim to have witnessed an apparition that resembles Norman Baker, the medical faker, roaming around in the old recreation room and at the foot of the first floor stairway. This apparition has apparently been seen dressed in a purple shirt with a white linen suit and looking somewhat confused. The next haunted thing I want to talk about is the old switchboard. So the hotel's antique switchboard was still being used for a period of time, but when it continually received phone calls from the otherwise empty basement, the switchboard was no longer used. The spooky thing about the switchboard receiving calls from the basement is that I came across a couple of different resources claiming that the basement is where most of the patients when Norman Baker was running his quote-unquote hospital institution. That's where they were receiving the treatments apparently. So the fact that years later they're getting random calls where no one's on the other line of course with the switchboard, it's very weird and also very eerie? Yeah, a little bit of both. Needless to say, I understand why they stopped using the switchboard and probably why they disconnected it. Next, there is apparently a spirit named Theodora, whose apparition is apparently a Victorian-styled woman seen near room 419 and near the housekeeper's room, in which the spirit explains herself to the living to be a cancer patient before seemingly fading away. Some believe that one of the creepiest things that can happen during a paranormal investigation is for a spirit to talk to you. But what if you saw a spirit that just didn't say anything at all? That leads me to the next school, who is known as the Quiet Bystander. According to the Legends of America website, within the lobby, a gentleman dressed in formal Victorian clothing, complete with a top hat, has often been spotted at the bottom of the stairway, along with sitting at the bar. Described as distinguished-looking with a mustache and a beard, many have claimed to entice him into a conversation. However, he just sits quietly and never responds before suddenly disappearing. If you think that's spooky, let's get into a gaggle of spirits hanging within the crystal dining room. Reports claim that folks have alleged to lay their eyes on a group of 1890s dancers in full dress attire whirling around the room in the wee hours of the morning. But wait, there's more. Other reports tell of a 19th century gentleman who is seen at the table near the windows. When approached, he reportedly says, quote, I saw the most beautiful woman here last night and I am waiting for her return before fading away. 
Overall, these seemingly described Victorian spirits that visit the dining room are said to be very playful, and on one occasion during the Christmas season, apparently the Christmas tree and all its packages were found mysteriously moved to the other side of the room, so a little mischievous as well. Additionally, all the chairs have been moved to a circle or face the transported tree. On another occasion, staff arrived in the morning to find the dining room in perfect order except for all the menus scattered across the room. Speaking of menus, apparently there has been apparently an apparition of a small boy that has been just seen skipping around. This spirit may be responsible for the pots and pans that are said to be flying off their hooks on their own. You know, he's just playing around, just hanging out, just throwing pots and pans around like kids do, I guess. I don't know. I I don't have kids. The next highlighted apparition I wanted to focus on is an entity referred to as the schoolgirl or the lady in the mist. It's believed that this young spirit is that of a former student of the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women. According to the tale, the young girl either jumped from or was pushed from the third floor east side balcony to her death. The identity of the girl is unknown, but there are some speculations that she may have been pregnant at the time of her death. Today, guests report hearing screams down the halls around the building, suspected where this young woman fell to her demise. In a little bit more of a chipper, cheery mood, there is apparently an entity known as the Butterman. According to reports, there have been claims of a ghostly apparition carrying a tray of butter within the hallways, hence the name the Butterman. It pains me to think that the hotel may not have Butterman merch, and if anyone from the hotel is listening, please let me know if you decide to get Butterman merch, because I feel like that would be just amazing. Last but absolutely not least, we gotta talk about Morris the cat again. Apparently guests and staff of the hotel have felt what seems to be a cat rub up against their legs, which many believe is the former kitty cat of the hotel, Morris. The hotel's website noted that there have been audio recordings by several paranormal investigators that have randomly captured a cat's purr. I don't know if I would be afraid if there was a cat ghost in the room I was staying in at a hotel. I think I would be willing to experience that. Yeah, I think I'd be willing to experience that. Anyways, moving on to other miscellaneous paranormal accounts I came across during my research. Guests have reported that they felt like they were being shaken during the night while sleeping by an unseen force. One guest noted that they saw blood splattered all over the room's walls and proceeded to just dip out of the hotel fairly quickly. Which, fair. When it comes to the third floor, staff have noticed that on that floor where the laundry room is located, the washing machines will randomly begin in the middle of the night. I mean, it's better that this is happening in the middle of the night because then hopefully they're not getting charged as much for hydro, right? There have also been reports of random squeaks and rattles being heard up and down the hallways of the hotel, which some think it sounds similar to a gurney rolling down the hallway. When it comes to paranormal investigations, it may come to no surprise that the Crescent Hotel is quite the hotspot for investigators to visit. Two well-known groups of investigators that have visited Crescent include Ghost Adventures and the Ghost Hunters Group. In terms of what went down when the Ghost Hunters crew visited the hotel in 2005, which, as a reminder, that is almost 20 years ago, from what I gathered, they reportedly caught a clear figure of a man approximately two feet away from them. That's pretty spooky. 
When it comes to the Ghost Adventures group, the following took place during their 21st season of the show, which aired in 2019. As per usual, our buddy boy Zach Baggins claimed he was feeling ill during a spirit box session. And I don't want to really sound dismissive here because I'm sure maybe he was feeling ill. I mean, I'm pretty sure you can see him throwing up on camera. I just feel there's a good handful of episodes where Zach claims that he's either feeling ill or heavily affected by the area to the point where he then says, oh, I'm possessed. And it just seems like a lot. But hey, I guess that is showbiz. In playing back the recording of the spirit box session, you can hear a voice saying, you got credit, was picked up while Zach was throwing up. The crew believed that this could have been Norman Baker, the former money-hungry con man trying to still make a deal in the afterlife. During the night investigation, crew member Jay was seen down in the morgue setting up a camera when he indicated he thought he had heard and saw someone. As he went back upstairs, the curtain in front of the camera began moving on film. Another crew member, Billy, went down to investigate to see if there was a breeze or some kind of force causing it. However, they were unable to find the source and the curtain stopped moving when they got near it. The Ghost Adventures team also recorded a music box located near their home base that had randomly started playing for approximately an hour. None of the five crew members were poorly touched it, no one set it off, it just was going on its own. Finally, the crew also experienced problems with electronic equipment, which longtime listeners of the show and just general paranormal enthusiasts will know that sometimes spirits will engage with electronics in order to get more energy. That's an alleged theory. So they had issues with their electronic equipment, they were poorly saw black shadow figures and heard voices, especially from Michael's room, being room 218, and they experienced cold spots and physical touches slash scratches. That's all the paranormal accounts I'm going to share today since it's about time to check out from this week's weird distraction. When you go stay at a hotel, do you ever wonder who's been there before you? Do you ever wonder if the hotel was something before it became a hotel? Do you ever look up the hotel's history? Perhaps after today's retelling of the Crescent Hotel, you might just start doing that. At least you know you can always tune back into this episode if you decide to check in to the Crescent Hotel. The Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs remains on my spooky travel bucket list due to two specific reasons. Firstly, because it is beautiful looking based on what I have seen in my research. I mean, the property just looks absolutely gorgeous. Secondly, I love a haunted historic hotspot, and it just so happens this almost 160-year-old building has been dubbed one of the most haunted hotels in the United States. But is it really as haunted as people have claimed it to be? Let me know your thoughts today over on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, threads now, wherever you follow Weird Distractions, or feel free to shoot me an email. If you've ever been to Crescent Hotel and would like to share your experiences, please feel free to do so. I'm always looking for weird tales from listeners to hopefully do another listener distraction episode in the future. So if you've ever been there, if you had a spooky experience and you don't mind me reading your experience on air, send it my way. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming Weird Distractions or any podcast on a podcast platform that allows you to leave a rating or review, please consider leaving a rating or review because that is the best way and 
the cheapest way, because it's free, to support your favorite podcasts. Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an episode is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find Weird Distractions over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and on TikTok. Do you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month? Why not join one of two tiers over on the Weird Distractions Patreon? Each month you get exclusive content, such as bonus episodes and bonus series, such as the Even Weirder series, the Weird Destinations travel posts, plus early and ad-free access to regular feed episodes. You can find out which tier is best suited for you by going to www.patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast. Shout out to my current patrons, aka my weird little family members, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Susan, Jennifer, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. I love you and appreciate your support so much. Without you, Weird Distractions may not be what it is today. Lastly, I want to hear from you. I would love to collect your stories of paranormal encounters, too close to home true crime cases, maybe even some weird MLM experiences, or maybe just in general weird things that you've encountered so that I can continue to release the Listener Distractions series. And you might be tuning in for the first time and you might not know what I'm talking about. This is a series that Christy and I originally started where we would read your personal experiences on air. If you have a story you want to share, please email me at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. As well, send me feedback. If there are any corrections needed to be made after today's episode, please let me know. And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye. Bye.